Hello and welcome to the Ortho Show. Today, coming to you live-ish from beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. In fact, from the Bellagio Hotel. Uh, this is the first of our three and a half days broadcasting from the Orthopedic Summit. We're very excited to be here. Mika, we've taken in a whole bunch of lectures today. It's been a great first day. We've conducted a, a, a ton of interviews, which we'll be listening people. We're going to bore people with for the next six months, probably. But I think today, the the standout of the the day today for me was uh, some of the young guns. You know, these these new uh, up and coming surgeons who are making a name for themselves, and they're up there on a panel on a stage with some really heavy hitters holding their own and just doing a great job. And um, I, I thought it'd be fun to just bring a couple of um, a couple of the interviews that we conducted with uh, some of the the gunniest of the young guns. Ah, uh, who who are we going to speak to now? We are going to speak to Dr. Matthew Heppenstall. We just grabbed him straight out of the lecture. He finished talking about hip arthroplasty and the use of robots. And without stealing any more of his thunder, here we go, Dr. Matthew Heppenstall. So my, my name is Matt Heppenstall. I'm an uh, orthopedic hip and knee surgeon. I practice in New York City, uh, currently at Lenox Hill Hospital. Uh, my practice, like many uh, adult reconstruction practices, is devoted to hip and knee surgery. Um, particularly, I have an interest in some of the newer, both less invasive approaches, as well as um, enabling surgical technologies, including robotics. And so um, what I just spoke about was actually robotic surgery for hip replacement. Uh, not everything uh, new is good, and not everything old is bad. So actually, I gave a talk earlier this morning about cemented hips and the value of continuing to use cement for femoral fixation. Oh, very so, good. So Matt, when you started out, uh, according to your talk anyway, you weren't using robots at all during your training. The reality is in 2003, uh, there wasn't an FDA-approved robot for mm. hip replacement in the United States. So no, I was not. So at what point did you decide this technology is ready for you to take on? Yeah, so I, I started using uh, the robot for surgery in 2012 mm. and started with partial knee replacement, which had some more of a track record and evidence mm-hmm. having been first introduced in 2007 and, and growing gradually and incrementally from there. I started using the robot in 2013 for hip replacement, mm-hmm. having grown confident in the accuracy and precision mm-hmm. um, that uh, I found for a partial knee replacement and wanting to translate that over to my hip patients. Oh, hold on there. So that's, that's interesting. So knee first, mm-hmm. then over to hip. Why is why was or why is knee considered the right place to start before it started coming into hip? Right. So you know when it um, when trying to disrupt a market, you're looking for opportunities, things that are not as good yet. Things that and so partial knee replacement was seen as a niche procedure. It was something that was uh, a great operation done well in the right patient problem was that it was not something that you can do for 100% of your knees. It's something you do for maybe 10 or 10% of your knees. And if you're only doing it for 10% of your knees, how do you become expert in a niche procedure? Right. right? So the robot was seen as an opportunity to make a, a less common procedure uh, more reliable because um, historic data showed that uh, the partial knee replacement was not only less common and technically challenging, but it was also less forgiving. So if you were a few degrees off, uh, the outcomes weren't as good. So okay. this was ripe for disruption by robotics. So that's that's why the robot came into uh, joint replacement for partial knee first. Right. So where, whereas hips have really good success yeah. rates, and you're thinking there's not as much opportunity there to improve necessarily. Right. So the typical outcome of hip replacement is better, frankly, than the typical outcome of knee replacement. Uh, more uniform relief of complete pain, and, and the satisfaction rates are higher. That being said, while the complications in hip replacement are not uh, common, 
some of them are quite catastrophic. Uh, and so just because um, a complication isn't common doesn't mean it isn't valuable to prevent it. So, so when, sorry, go ahead, Mika. No, I was going to say, um, I really enjoyed in your talk, talk you were talking about um, differences between what your experience is telling you and what the uh, robot might be telling you. What's the most common discrepancy you come across there between your experience and, and what the robot's suggesting? You know, the, the robot is giving you one more way of measuring sort of mm-hmm. where you are in space. Yeah. And so it, it is some level of a discrepancy where the, the hip looks short or long to you, but it looks mm-hmm. the other to the robot. Mm-hmm. You know, where the version looks one way to you, it looks a different way to the robot. The reality is we know historically that getting leg length and offset uh, and getting uh, component position on the socket in terms of inclination and the antiversion, these are things that we get close to our targets, but it, you know, it can be plus or minus 10 degrees, sometimes 15, 20, uh, and it can be plus or minus a centimeter on leg length and offset issues. And obviously, um, you know, sometimes you, that's fine, and sometimes it's not fine. And so um, the robot gives us one more measurement. If, if we were precise all the time and the robot was precise all the time, we'd, we'd agree all the time. But the reality is the robot is used by a human, and it's mm-hmm. a human who's making the assessment of whether they agree with the robot. And so I would say that when we have robotic errors, it's not that the robot has an error, it's that the human use of the robot is erroneous, right? So it's still a tool. A tool, it is just one more tool, and it's a more robust tool than the tools we had before, before we had things, and, and we still have them, things like rulers, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and your pins, thumbs. And your thumb, <laughs> right? And, and, and visual assessment. And those tools were valuable, and they remain valuable. And you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. If you put, if you... If, the, if you um, fail to properly uh, uh, place a pin in the bone or you fail to pro- pro- properly register the surface of the bone or if you knock an, a robotic array, then you can get the wrong result from the robot through human use. And so at any, it is one more measure. But it is not; it doesn't replace all the other measures. It is a more reliable measure than any other measure, but you still have to find the one in the middle. Are we in training still making sure that those reliable, predictable, old-school, let's say, tools mm-hmm. are still getting trained enough? Because, you know, I, I think it's interesting to, that you were talking about when do I trust the robot. Occasionally the robot is disagreeing with me. That was your mm-hmm. lecture was about. Clearly, this is becoming more and more prevalent. It's going to become more and more common. With a younger surgeon, do they still have the tools available for that one out of every 10 surgeries that go sideways, and they can come back and, you know, freeform? I personally used to think this was a problem way before robots, just with cutting jigs. Yeah. You know, when guys were good at eyeballing, now we move all the way to robots. You know, it's gone way beyond. Yeah, that, that, that is actually the, um, when, when I'm asked this question, that's exactly the comeback that I, I tend to have is that, you know, ultimately uh, you worry, oh, what happens when the robot goes down? Well, be, well in some future, we'll, we'll probably have multiple robots and the other robot comes in just like, oh, what happens if your jig, you know, drops and hits the floor? Well, now we open up other jigs, right? So um, I do think if something is better, then it will become common enough that you'll have solutions to problems when, when they come up. But on the way, uh, it's really important that those of us who embrace it, uh, and adopt uh, new technology, whether it's robotics or anything else, don't fail in our educational responsibility to our trainees. Um, you know, they're not necessarily all going to go to a place where they have access to the technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and frankly, 
as focused on in my talk, while having a robot is going to make you better, you're going to be better still if you still have your own brain and you still have uh, yeah. the, the, the other tools that are available to an orthopedic surgeon. And so that, when I teach use of a robot, I'm teaching not just how to use it, but how to, un how to interpret the data that it's giving you and how to interpret that data in light of the data that's right in front of you in the operative field. You, one of your early slides said that in the old days, hip replacement was considered an art. And it I, still I, is. And it still is, right. So that was my next question. Is it, is it still an art if we're using a robot? And it sounds like the answer is, is yes, indeed it is. I believe so. Have you got a take-home message to those out there for dealing with robots when, when they come across these discrepancies? Well, I would say for patients, yeah. the answer is, you know, that the surgeon still matters. Yeah. It's not something where you can, you can put a robot in the hands of, a, of an inexperienced surgeon without judgment and that they're going to outperform an experienced surgeon with judgment. That being said, for, the, for a surgeon, you're going to be better with a robot than without one as long as you continue to uh, use and you don't ignore all the knowledge you had before robotics. Yeah, that was great. I enjoyed, I enjoyed talking to Matt. Dr. Heppenstall, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> you're the only one, but we appreciate you uh, coming and chatting with us. And um, yeah, good stuff. So I, I, I managed to leave there and, and jump into um, the shoulder session and was listening to some panels there and got lucky enough to catch up uh, with our next featured speaker today, which is Dr. Rachel Frank. She's out of Denver, Colorado. So um, same deal without stealing any of her thunder. The next voice you're going to hear is that of Dr. Rachel Frank and some of her insights from the day. I'm Dr. Rachel Frank. I'm an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist at the University of Colorado in Denver and Boulder. My understanding is that you are a first-time faculty member here. Yes, um, I am a rookie, as Dr. Flancher would say. Yeah, I, so I was in the room when he heckled you and pointed out that you were a rookie, but you were owning all the experienced guys on, on the stage. How did that feel? Well, um, you know, it's a lot of, I would say it's a, a decent amount of pressure to be up there for the first time at a conference like this, but all of my co-panelists were very welcoming, very friendly, and fortunately I know um, almost all of them from beforehand, and so it ended up being more of a friendly conversation than, um, than a pimp fest. <laughs> which was good and comforting for me did yeah. it take much persuasion by kevin to get you here no i think this is a meeting that everyone um, who knows about it which is basically everyone in the orthopedic community enjoys coming to it you know there's the latest and greatest with technology and innovation and the speakers and a group of faculty are just outstanding so for me it's just an honor to be part of that and um, i can see why this meeting gets so much hype every year and the quality of faculty all the way from top to bottom is um, it just represents the superstars of the field so again for me it's it's truly an honor and a privilege to be up there and um, so no he did not have to persuade me very much <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you were presenting on today well, today the panel was just a quick 20-minute panel on shoulder complications, and I really like these sessions at meetings because, especially as a more um, newer attending, so to speak, it's nice to hear when more experienced faculty can talk open and honestly about complications that they've either treated or have been a part of and, um, uh, and talk about what they did and how they felt and how they treated it because all of us have them. And often when you go to meetings, people are only, show, only showing their best cases, their prettiest arthroscopic pictures, their most beautiful rotator cuff repairs. And it's great. And we all wish every case would be like that. Um, but we all know that they're not like that. And so to see complications and less than ideal outcomes and hear people talk about what they did and what they would do differently, that's true and open and honest orthopedics. And that, I think, is what 
we really like to see. So for me, it was great to be part of that panel and see some of these cases firsthand. Yeah. Any key takeaways from from today, that first session today? I think keys are um, that these complications happen to everyone. Um, that's number one, and no one's you know immune to them. Uh, number two is patient selection. So some patients, no matter what, even if they have the problem, they're not the ideal candidate for surgery. I think one of the hardest parts about being a surgeon is saying no and being willing to say no to a patient, even when you might be able to help them, if really that help in the long run is going to not be so good for them. And then number three is recognizing the complication, being willing to accept it, owning it, and then trying to fix it. Um, I think those are the big takeaways. Good. Listen, from what I saw today, you've got no worries. You did a great yeah. job up there on the Appreciate stage. It. among, As you said, a pretty esteemed panel, which has got to add a certain amount of pressure. So, so great job, and thank you so much for coming and having a chat with That's us. That's very good. Thank, thank you very much. much. Appreciate it, guys. All right, so there we have it. That's the end of the first live Ish, Ish. <laughs> installment of the Ortho Show coming to you from the Ortho Summit in Las Vegas. Um, thanks so much for listening. We've got a lot more install over the uh, over over the next three days. Um, so tune in again tomorrow to to hear about the lectures we take in and some more interviews, more insights from the show. 